lamp still going around, the little one that I got, they would have put um, not a little lamp like this, but in this procession that you're going to read about when they do a marriage procession or a wedding procession, they would have had more of a like a dome-shaped jug with a, a rag for a wick that would have given out more light in the night. And they would have put those on sticks or poles and it would have illuminated the bride and the groom as they were heading for the, the wedding feast, okay? And that's the type of lamp. So it would have been bigger. It wasn't just this little thing, but it would have been a bigger thing that's more like a torch. But they would have fueled it the same with a rag wick and with oil. So let's read Matthew 25. It's called the parable, uh, commonly, the parable of the ten virgins or the parable of the bridesmaids. Half of them are ready, half of them are not. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went, went to meet the bridegroom. And some, some texts say the bridegroom and the bride. Okay, so it's bride and groom. Uh, five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, meaning extra oil, an extra flask or jar. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. So this is wild because they probably weren't open. It's the middle of the night. But they probably went and knocked on the door and were like, come on, I need it now, I'll pay you extra, is what I'm imagining. So Because they do end up getting oil. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So this is, is the parable, these, these uh, five bridesmaids and I, I, that are ready, they're wise, and I lit up five candles that I went down to the dollar store and, and got these just as an illustration that they have enough. They're prepared for this event. Five of them, though, you know, as they're waiting and they all fall asleep and there's no condemnation that they fall asleep because the five that have extra oil are ready even as they doze off and their lamp burns up some of the oil. They have extra and they're ready for any situation. And so this parable, it's important to know that in a parable it has a single point. It's one main lesson. And we might get other little side lessons, little tidbits that are kind of neat and cool where you're like when Jesus talks about what the kingdom of heaven is like uh, elsewhere he talks about a wedding feast and here it's the idea of a wedding feast but the central idea isn't the wedding feast it's being ready for the wedding feast and so the central point is to be prepared you'll want to learn that lesson of these unprepared women and make yourself ready now for the return of the bridegroom Jesus Christ like most in the Bible, the parables of Jesus are intended for Jewish listeners, and their weddings were a little different from ours. They had an engagement, and then they had a betrothal period, which might be like a year where technically they were man and wife, but yet they didn't live together, and they didn't, you know, begin a family. And then you'd have the actual wedding, which is the beginning of the marriage and, and normal, you know, marriage life. And so they had this betrothal period, 
that was significant where, uh, you know, it's talked about with Mary and Joseph and things like that. So this is a story about the beginning of the final stage of marriage in which the bridegroom goes to the home of the bride to bring her to his home where they'll celebrate the wedding feast. And they'd have a great party, a huge banquet, and the whole community would be invited. But beforehand, it was customary for friends and acquaintances of the bride to keep her company and even march in procession with her and the groom to the final ceremony where the wedding was uh, taking place and the wedding feast. These lamps were larger than the average lamp that you've passed around this morning, and they'd be fastened to the top of a pole and carried in a kind of parade like this, where it would illuminate into the night. The groom is delayed, though, in this parable, and he comes at an unexpected hour. What hour does he show up? Midnight. All the young women are asleep by this time, but the parable is not about sleeping. It's about being prepared. So half of them are prepared and half aren't. Now think about this. The five wise women fall asleep enjoying a true peace. Have you ever fallen asleep and you feel a true peace just knowing that, well, I'm right with the Lord no matter what happens with me. Tomorrow's going to be a great day. Or maybe oh, there's things that might not happen that I like tomorrow, but I'm still at peace. So five of them fall asleep with true peace. Five foolish women fall asleep enjoying a false peace because they don't realize that it's going to go on so long. They don't realize that they're really unprepared. So they might fall asleep and be resting, but they have a false peace which will lead to their shocking surprise soon. When the bridegroom surprises the party waiting for him, they trim up their lamps, meaning that they need to clip off those black ashes and and pull out the wick even more and let it burn brightly. Just as we do today when we uh, trim an oil lamp wick or a candle wick, trimming up the lamp or the torch would have meant uh, looking at it, examining it, seeing if, you know, it needed more oil and just everything. So they, these bridesmaids would have looked at their, their jar-shaped torches that were still burning, and they'd think, is the wick cut? Okay, trim it up. Yep, check. Is there enough oil for this march to the wedding feast? Uh, no, for half of them, but yes for the other half. So half of them had a jar of extra oil, but the foolish ones neglected to do so. In fact, the word for foolish here is mori, from which we get the word moron, okay? So these are morons, we could say. Not very nice, but Jesus is pretty direct sometimes when he talks about uh, foolishness. So what's the difference between the wise women and the foolish women? In many respects, they are the same. All ten had been invited to the great wedding banquet. Each had responded to the wedding invitation, so they were were concerned. And I, I almost wonder if the original context for this wasn't Jesus speaking to the Jewish people, saying, you know, your Messiah's here, you need to recognize him. Because they had a long history you know, through King David and, and, and through Abraham. And they, they had this, God had been working for a long, long time with these people. And yet when he showed up and died on the cross of Calvary, people who, were, who should have been prepared, who should have seen him in the scriptures did not. 
But the lesson is for, for us today as well. All of these women clearly had some affection for and perhaps even love for the, the bridegroom and the bride. All spent their time in like manner while waiting. They were all sleeping. The parable is not a condemnation against rest, relaxation, or recreation. In fact, God commands that we take a rest from our work in order to be restored and refreshed and ready for future work as opposed to being run down and ragged. All of the lamps of the women looked the same on the outside, and the women themselves were probably dressed the same, did their hair the same, talked the same, laughed the same, walked the same. But you know what the difference was? A very small difference. Some of them had oil in their lamp, and some didn't. And the only way that you could tell was if the flame was burning bright. In the scriptures, do you know what oil is a picture of? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. None of us know when we look at other people if they have oil on the inside of their life, if they have the Spirit of God uh, dwelling in them, and not just dwelling in them, but taking the opportunity, because going to the vendors, as it were, in this story, is for us taking advantage of opportunities to be in the Scripture, to pray, to be encouraged and excited, right? Like, you know, this morning when I said, what if our moment of healing is when we really let go and, and do something in a way that we want to, but when we really let go and say, oh, God, thank you, hallelujah, and it doesn't have to be loud and, and outwardly emotionally expressive. It can be the solitude of an inner cleansing where you just know I'm free, I'm free, I'm free indeed. Because I've let the truth come on the inside and, and fill me with that wonderful oil of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, I believe it's 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, but which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And it's to be continually filled with the Spirit. And Billy Graham was one time asked, uh, or he asked people rhetorically, he said, do you know what the greatest sin that a Christian can commit is? And people were kind of stumped. Okay, the greatest sin that a Christian can commit. It's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because the Christian has chosen to follow God. Billy Graham said the greatest sin that a Christian can commit is to not be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is the comforter and a lot of times we look for comfort in other ways other than the Spirit of God, the Spirit of holiness who gives us our power, who gives us our light, who gives us all that we need. What was the one thing that we are charged to do from this parable? To be ready to get filled with the new oil of the Holy Spirit when we need it because it will be a crisis moment that shows us that we're not prepared on the inside. Inward preparation, inward dedication to Jesus, inward readiness for his return. Now think about this for a moment. The five foolish virgins wanted to be ready for the bridegroom, but they were not. Desire for something is not enough to get it done. You may want to be a mature Christian. You might want to be a competitive athlete, an achieving student, an honorable person. But unless you do something about it, it will not happen. 
They should have done something about it beforehand, but they didn't. That's exactly where many of us are. Nobody was more surprised at their lack of readiness than they were when Jesus showed up. May Jesus not catch us at an inopportune moment. They were shocked that they couldn't get into the wedding party. They thought that they were set, and yet they were self-deceived. Only the crisis of the bridegroom's return once and for all reveals our own self-deception and lack of readiness. Now, nothing reveals what's in the heart of a man or a woman more than an unexpected crisis. These crises bring us to realize that either we've been trusting in the Lord, sustained by the grace of the Holy Spirit, or we've trusted in ourselves. Have I been deceiving myself and relying upon some other support other than God himself? Andrew Fuller said that a man can only have as much religion as he can command in the time of trial. You see, it's personal. Each woman was responsible for their own personal torch and extra supply of oil. The oil represents the inner renewal of the Holy Spirit, which is brought about by saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like in John 3, where at nighttime, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Commenting on this parable that we've shared this morning, I think I have a a cooler picture, and I'll get to this other picture in a moment. But John Wesley said about this parable, he said that no man can have more holiness than enough for himself. Did I say that right? No man has more than holiness enough for himself. Yeah, so in other words, you can't live off your parents, you can't live off your grandparents, and so on. So this is why we speak in the church of the Lord Jesus being our personal Lord and Savior. Just as each woman had a torch lamp, each of us has a life or a soul which burns for God. Just as the torch lamp was intended to be filled with oil, God has intended for every man and woman, for every boy and girl to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. The goal of the Christian life is about actually arriving at the final destination, the great wedding banquet of Jesus Christ. And so the question is, are you ready? And for most of us, I think the answer is a resounding yes. Yes, Lord, I'm ready. And so if and when the power goes out again, I want you to think about this parable. I want it to be capturing your imagination. And I want you to think about how thankful we are for the modern conveniences that we have, but also think about how we as believers don't just trust in the fact that I'm a Christian and I go to church. We trust in, in, in the Lord who, you know, when, when he calls us to himself, it's a, it's a kingdom, uh, great wedding banquet, Right? There was a man named Arthur Burns who, uh, Oz Guinness in his book, The Call, he tells us that Arthur F. Burns was the chairman of the United States Federal Reserve System and he was ambassador to West Germany. Had anybody heard of him before? You have? Okay. He was a man of considerable gravity, medium in height, distinguished with wavy silver hair and his signature pipe. And here you see him with uh, President Nixon. He was an economic counselor to numerous presidents, from Dwight D. Eisenhower to Ronald Reagan. When he spoke, his opinion carried weight, and Washington listened. Arthur Burns was also Jewish, so when he began attending an informal White House group of prayer and fellowship in the 1970s, he was accorded special respect. For no one, in fact, quite knew how to involve him in the group. 
And week after week, when different people took turns to end the meeting in prayer, Burns was always passed by out of a mixture of respect and reticence to ask this Jewish man to close a Christian prayer meeting. One week, however, the group was led by a newcomer who did not know the unusual status that Burns occupied in the group. And as the meeting ended, the newcomer turned to Burns and asked him to close the time with prayer. Some of the old-timers glanced at each other with surprise and wondered what would happen. But without missing a beat, Burns reached out, held hands with everybody in the circle, and prayed this prayer. He prayed, Lord, I pray that you would bring Jews to know Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bring Muslims to know Jesus Christ. And finally, Lord, I pray that you would bring Christians to know Jesus Christ. It's all about knowing Jesus Christ. And some of us who've grown up in the church or been a pastor for a long time or things like this might need a fresh lesson for the Lord to truly ask us, are you really ready for your last heartbeat in your mortal body? Are you really ready for your last breath of those mortal lungs? Are we really ready to hear that great cry, just like there was a great cry or shout when the bridegroom came. Are we ready? Are we ready? 